started really two weeks ago, but last week particularly, a brand new series to start out the year with called Building a Daring Faith. We're talking about how to build a faith that really makes a difference in our lives, make a difference in the lives of others around us, and also makes a difference in our eternal experience. We looked at last week our theme verse, which is Hebrews 11.6, that reminds us this, and without faith, it is what? Impossible to please God. Now, we're here today, I, I, I really believe, unless someone drug you here today, and that may be possible, we hope that changes, uh, but we're here because we want to please God. We want God to be pleased with us. And this is one of the manifestations of our faithfulness, faithfully attending the Bridge Church. And Scripture tells us that without faith, it's impossible to please God. So this is a vital part of our Christian character. It's a vital part of our Christian journey is that we exercise and use faith. Because without it, it's impossible to please God. We can't accomplish that pleasing God without it. Because it says first we've got to believe that he exists. And then we've got to believe that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. See, because we're not living for this life. We're living for the life to come. This life is preparation for eternity. It's preparation for the life to come. And we have to believe that if we invest this life the way God wants us to invest it, that he is going to reward us for that. And not just give us a little trophy or a little ribbon. He's going to lavish eternal rewards and opportunities on us. So this is really important because without it, we can't please God. We discovered last week that faith is the key to the victory of our salvation. That's where it all starts. Of the forgiveness of our sin, of the promise of eternal life. In Ephesians chapter 2, 8, and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one can boast. You can't work your way to heaven. If you're just... Uh, exploring Christianity or exploring religion uh, for the first time, and this is a New Year's resolution, the first thing you need to understand is you cannot ever work your way to heaven. You get there by faith. Faith is the key. Then we saw faith is also the key to the victory of our sanctification. And we explained what that theological term means. And basically, it means what it says in Romans 1, the latter part of verse 17 says, it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Now, once through faith, we have trusted Jesus as our Savior, and he has become our atoning sacrifice for our sins, and God forgives our sins and gives us the promise of eternal life from him. Then the next step, not so that we can get to heaven, because Jesus did everything that is necessary for us to get to heaven if we just put our faith in him dying on the cross for our sins. Now, once we've done that, don't confuse these two issues, then God's desire for our life is to put ourselves in the process of sanctification. In other words, in the process of maturing as believers, maturing as children of God. And that's a journey. That's a lifelong journey that all of us should be active in. And as we saw last week too in Jude 120, it says, dear friends, build yourselves up in your most holy faith. This is something only you can do for yourself. No one can do it for you. If you're married, your spouse can't do this for you. If your mom and dad can't do it for you, your grandma, your grandpa can't do it for you, your best friend can't do it for you. 
Your kids can't do it for you, and you can't do it for your kids. Everyone has to make a decision. You have to choose to build and exercise your faith. Now, your motivation is knowing without faith, you can't please God. It's impossible to please God. And second of all, you need to know that it is through faith that you will position yourself and prepare yourself to arrive in eternity so that Jesus will be justified in giving you all the eternal rewards that he wants to give you. And the Bible says that he wants to lavish those awards and rewards on us. So this is something you have to buy into. Only you. No one can do it for you. I can't do it for you as your pastor. What I can do is what I'm doing in this series I can explain to you what faith is, what it looks like. I can explain how God exercises our faith. I can explain how we fail in faith. And I can explain to you and teach you how you can practically be building your faith muscle. But you have to do it. No one else can do it for you. So in 2017, as we start a new year, here's the challenge. Will you dare, will you dare to build a daring faith. Will you right now decide, you know what, I'm going to go where I've not gone yet. Now, some of you are working on this. And it's just a matter of continuing to do it. For some of you, the Lord may impress and say, you know what, this is the year I really need to do what I've said over and over again during my life that I'm going to do, that I'm really going all in for Jesus Christ. Well, this is the year to do it. Will you dare to build a daring faith? Now, today, so that I can help you do for yourself what only you can do for yourself. Today, I want to share with you what does faith look like? What does this faith thing look like? How do I know that I'm engaged in it? How do I know that I am building my faith character, my faith aspect of my relationship with Jesus Christ? What does it look like? I'm going to give you several things quickly. You ready to go? Now, take notes. Inside your bulletin, there's a note page. Write these down so that you can review them this week and so you can begin building this faith muscle. Write them down because so, you're going to forget them if you leave. Now, you, you can get the recording of the service after. You can go online and get it later in the week. But make your notes as the Holy Spirit impresses things on you. Take that little note page and make your notes. All right, what does faith look like? First, it's believing when I don't see it. Faith is believing when I don't see it. In fact, that's the biblical definition of faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, it says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. In other words, I know that this is true. Although I can't see it, I have faith. I believe that this is something God is at work at, and this is something God will use in my life. Now, it all starts with believing God himself in him. What's that, that, that theme verse that we have, Hebrews eleven six 6 says, without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must first believe that he exists. So that's where it all starts. Now, I love how the apostle Peter, one of the original disciples, the leader of the disciple band during Jesus's earthly ministry, and, and the early church after. Peter, in one of his New Testament manuscripts that we call 1 Peter, in chapter 1, verse 8, says this, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Let me ask you this. How many of you love Jesus? 
How many of you have seen Jesus? You love somebody you never saw? Man, talk about blind love. No, but we do. We love him, but we've never seen him. Now, we've seen evidences of him, haven't we? But we've never seen him. So that's what Peter said. He says, though you may not have seen him, you love him. That's what's motivated you to come to the bridge today. Your love for God, your love for Jesus, even though you have never with your physical eyes seen him. He goes on to say, though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Before we got to the the teaching part of our service today, we sang a bunch of hymns. Oh, we sang some good ones. We, We just sang, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. We sang all these hymns, and if we were really engaged in worship, we weren't just going through the motions, then we were connecting with God, and we were connecting with the Holy Spirit, and, and, and we were singing, and we were singing to this presence that we've never seen before. And yet, not only do we believe he exists, we believe that he exists to the point that we come in here every week and we sing praises to him. He's not here. He's not sitting on a chair anywhere. We can't see him. But every week we come in here and we engage in worship. We pray to him. We sing songs to him. And that brings us joy, doesn't it? It does me. We start singing. I've told you so many times. that I could be having a lousy morning, but as soon as we start the service and we're singing praise the Lord, all of a sudden, my countenance changes. And it's the same for you. That's what Scripture says. Now, it says, and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith. And again, what is the outcome of your faith? The salvation of your souls. See, we believe in him who we can't see. We sing and praise him who we can't see and we've never seen. And this is evidence that we are the children of God because we are willing to do that. We are willing to exercise that kind of faith. So it's believing when I don't see it. Now, it begins with believing that there is a God, believing that Jesus was his son. But it goes beyond that. It means believing things you don't see. What is God calling you to believe right now that you don't see? What's he calling you to believe? You don't see. Maybe it's a job. And you've been looking for a job forever. And you've had hundreds of resumes out there. And you don't have a job. Well, see, faith is believing that God does have a job for you. And not to give up on that. What is he calling you to believe right now? Maybe he's calling you to believe that your marriage is worth fighting for. Maybe he's calling for you you to believe things about you, about yourself, to believe what you don't see in yourself. Number one, that you are a child of God. You're not just some human being randomly going through life. You've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. You are God's child. You are spiritually empowered by God to do things that you can't even imagine, that you are loved by God, that you will be strengthened by him. What is the challenge in your life? that you can't see any resolution to right now. But by faith, God wants you to believe there is a resolution. And by faith, that God is working 
in this area of your life. See, that's faith, believing what I don't see. Faith also is obeying when I don't understand it. Obeying when I don't understand it. Write this down. Faith is an invitation into the divine supernatural. Faith is an invitation into the divine supernatural. When God challenges, and that's what we're going to learn about next time, when God involves himself, and as he sees us wanting to involve ourselves in a life of faith and build our faith, then he gets active with us. And as he sees us wanting to build our faith, and he gets involved, he's going to invite us into his supernatural. See, that's what faith is all about. See, he, he, he moved with Noah to build an ark. And, and, and Noah didn't know why he was building an ark. Many biblical historians believe that up until the time of Noah, it never rained on the earth. That the earth was watered from, from the ground up through moisture that came from the ground. And so he never saw anything like rain before. But he obeyed God, even though it didn't make sense to build a boat out in the middle of the Middle East desert. See, it didn't make any faith to Daniel to be, it it didn't mean logic to him to understand to be thrown into a lion's den. How about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? When they were going to be thrown into the fiery furnace. See, that faith that they allowed themselves to do that, allowed them to experience the divine supernatural. They weren't burned up. The soldiers that threw them into the furnace perished. They burned up. But after being in this this furnace that Nebuchadnezzar had heated hotter than it had ever been before, they're looking in there, and these guys are just kind of walking around. I imagine one of them said, hey, you got a coat? It's a little chilly in here. See, they were invited into the divine supernatural. When we follow God into his supernatural, we are going to travel down pathways that don't make sense to us. you got to know that right off the bat. You get involved in this and you start doing this, you start building your faith, knowing that faith is obeying when I don't understand it. Well, God will lead you down pathways that don't make any sense. Some of them are, are, are very obvious. For example... God says this in Isaiah 55, 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. God wants us to understand that. That God doesn't work the way that we work. God doesn't think the way that we think. God would not use the methodology and the strategy in life situations that we might. He's going to take us down a different path. Abraham is such an amazing example of someone who obeyed God, even he didn't though he didn't understand what God was doing. Hebrews eleven eight says, By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as an inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. God just appeared to Abraham someday and says, I want you to start walking. And when you get there, I'll tell you you've arrived. Well, that doesn't make any sense. Why would I do that, God? But see, faith led him just to obey God's voice, and he started walking even though he had no idea where he was going to end up. And yet we know that he ended up exactly where God wanted him to end up. Even more, and I think this is incredible, 
Genesis 22, verse 2 and 3 says, Then God said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering. No one of the, of the mountains I will tell you. On one, on one of the mountains that I will tell you. So God takes Isaac. Abraham finally has a son with his wife Sarah. Now he has an older son, Ishmael, that he had with Sarah's handmaiden, Hagar. But now he's got this one son. Remember, God had promised him that his descendants were going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky. At this time of his life, he's got two. One he's already lost because the women got jealous of each other and he had to drive them away. So he's got one son left. This is the one that all these generations are supposed to come through. And God says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take that son, your only son, and I want you to take him to the region of Moriah, and I want you to take him up in the mount and sacrifice him. Now, that makes no sense at all. God, you, you told me this is the one that you're going to bless me through. Why would you have me kill him? Why would you have me sacrifice him? See, God was inviting him into the supernatural. Now, we know that Abram obeyed God. Matter of fact, it says the next morning he got a, a donkey. He saddled it up. He called Isaac. He said, let's go. And they went to the mountain. He built the altar, got the kindling on it. Isaac said, where's the sacrifice? Abram took him and stuck him on the altar, took a knife up and was about to plunge it into his chest. And God stopped him and provided a lamb for that sacrifice. Now, why would Abram trust God that much? Scripture tells us later on, Hebrews eleven nineteen says, Abram reasoned that God could raise the dead. Here's what he said. He said, you know what? I believe so much. My faith is so great in God that even if God were to have me go through with this and kill my son and sacrifice him, God would bring him back. God's able to do that. And figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead because he was about to carry out God's command. But it made absolutely no sense. See, faith is an invitation into the divine supernatural God will call us to do things that just don't seem to make sense from a human perspective. He's going to do that when we engage in this life of faith. God's method of getting into heaven doesn't make sense. You ever think about that? It doesn't make sense. That all we have to do is confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead and we will be saved. That's what scripture says. Romans 10.9 says that very clearly. That's it. That's all he requires. Every other religion on planet Earth believes that somehow we have to appease whatever God is out there or the force of the universe in some Eastern religions. That we have to do things. We have to live our lives in such ways that somehow we appease whatever God there is. And at the end of our life, if we've done good enough, then this God might just give us eternal life or we become one with the, the force or whatever the religion is. But it's all based on human productivity, on human self-discipline. But God says, no, it's not. He says, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, that we looked at, for by grace you're saved, through faith. It's not of yourself. It's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast, see? That just doesn't make sense. And that's why so many people never come to faith in Jesus Christ because they just can't believe that that's all it is. 
They have to believe that it's dependent on them, on their character, on their self-discipline, on their religiosity. But it really doesn't. And you know what? To me, it makes more sense that we should have to prove ourselves to God. Am I alone in that? It makes more sense that I should have to prove my, my loyalty. I should have to prove my sincerity. I should have to prove something with the way I live my life. That would make more sense to me. But no, God says, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. and Believe in your heart. God raised him to the dead. You're saved. That's all I ask. Think about this. What God commands about forgiveness doesn't make sense. Peter, thinking that he's really the super spiritual guy, goes to Jesus one day and he says, so Jesus, how should we forgive our brother? Seven times? Should we forgive him seven times? You know, Peter's trying to be gregarious. I'm, I'm going to forgive him seven times. And Jesus says, no, not seven times, but 70 times seven times. And Jesus wasn't trying to be exact. See, Jesus said, our response to people who hurt us, our response to people who abuse us, our response to people who treat us with unkindness should always be forgiveness. We should forgive them. That doesn't make sense. Because I don't know about you, and maybe I'm more carnal than you, but my, my natu- natural man, my non-spiritual side, when someone gets me, I want to get them back. I've been guilty of fantasizing getting them back. And you have too. Because that's human nature. See? It doesn't make sense that we should forgive them. They've hurt us. They've offended us. And sometimes it's not been accidental. It's been pre-calculated. Sometimes it has been very malicious. I said, well, forgive them. In fact, that's one of the hallmarks of being a child of God is being willing to forgive, to forgive, to forgive, and to forgive. Does it make sense to us how God commands us to treat our enemies? I mean, these are just people who have hurt us in in that book. How about our enemies? I mean, people who are absolutely calculating our destruction, who try to put us down at work, who try to to, to, uh, subvert us with our employer, and, and who steal our successes, and all that kind of stuff, and all these people who are really just enemies, and they're self-proclaimed enemies, and there's no doubt about it. What does God say about that, our relationship with them? We're supposed to love them. We're supposed to love them. And that love is evidenced, Jesus taught several times, by going the extra mile for him. So you know, if your enemy comes up and he demands that you give him your coat, well, then you give him your coat and then give him your outer, your inner garment too. Give, give that with him. Or if he commands you to carry his stuff for a mile, see, that was a Roman law, by the way. The Romans had a law that if a Roman told anybody else to carry their, their pack, they had to carry it one mile, and after that they were done. That was their obligation. But Jesus thought, no, if this enemy, this Roman, asks you to carry his pack, don't carry it one, carry it two. See, that doesn't make sense. Because... That's humiliating. That takes me out of a position of power, and I don't want that to happen. But that's what he says. What God tells us to do with our money doesn't make sense. God says, give me 10% of everything you earn. Man, that doesn't make sense. I need that 10%. But God says, trust me. 
God, how God tells us to live our lives, this whole Christianity thing doesn't make a lot of sense to me. But yet, that's obeying when I don't understand. Faith is the doorway to God's divine supernatural. It's the doorway to his divine provision. When we have faith and do what God asks us to do with our material things, then God is free to to bless our lives in the way that Scripture tells us that he will. It's the doorway to God's divine protection by living life the way that he tells us to live it, even though we don't understand it. Mark it down. If you buy into this faith thing and you begin to really exercise your faith, and build it. God's going to take you down some pathways that won't seem to make sense to you. There's some obvious ones right from the beginning. But as you get into it more, God individually, personally, is going to take you places that you're going to say, you're kidding, right? What? You want me to do what? And the evidence of your faith will be to obey it even though you don't understand it. Real quick, what else is faith? Faith is persisting when I don't feel like it. Trust me, you get into this faith thing, and you really start building your faith, and you take up this challenge to dare to build a daring faith, and and God starts giving you invitations into his divine supernatural because he's going to challenge you to do things that you don't think you can do or, or you've never thought about before so that he can show you his power that is in you then it's going to get tough at times. And you're going to say, man, somebody else can do this. I'm not doing it. It's hard to serve the Lord. You know, Jesus was so honest about that. Jesus, on numerous occasions, said something like this in different ways. He said, if anyone's going to follow me, you got to what? you got to pick up your cross and follow me. See, the cross was a symbol of shame. The cross was a symbol of terror. The cross was a symbol of death. And he said, he said if you're going to follow me, It's not going to be easy. In Galatians 6, 9, Paul writes this, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. See, faith is persisting when we don't feel like it. Now, that can manifest itself in so many areas of our lives. Here in the church, it can manifest itself. Sometimes, you know, we've been serving the Lord in some ministry. I, I, I think of the, the team that meets here on Saturday mornings to set up all these chairs. And those of you uh, are those who stay after our last service and help to tear them down the chairs and, and put them away. Yeah, I, I think of those folks who come Saturday morning after Saturday morning, 8 o'clock in the morning. There's no one here watching them. There's no one here going, hey, great job. They're just doing it. And you know how tiring that must get? Week after week pulling chairs out, setting them down, making sure everything's all measured up. But see, persisting when you don't feel like it. Now, I know you would never believe this about me, but do you know there's some Sundays I don't really feel like coming? (laughs) I'm sorry, but it's true sometimes. And you too. But it's persisting when you don't feel like it. It's persisting in your marriage. And sometimes it's going so bad, you just want to join the rest of the world and 
50 to 60% of marriages are failing in America and across the world. And you say, you know, it's too hard. I don't want to do it anymore. Persisting is once you start this journey of faith, of completing it, continuing it, even though you know it's not going to be easy, even though you know that God's going to challenge you to do things you don't understand, even though that you know you're going to have to believe in things you can't see and just believe that God is doing something, even though you don't see him working in your life at this moment. It's persisting, persisting in your service, persisting in your giving, persisting in your relationships, persisting in forgiveness, persistence in treating enemies with respect, persistence in living this life. Don't quit. Don't give up. What does that verse say? That let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we'll receive a harvest if we don't give up. When's that proper time? Is it in this life? No, it's in the life to come. Remember we talked about in week one, and we talked about last week, Paul talking about to Timothy, that, that he's forgetting what's behind, and he's straining towards what's ahead so that he can win the goal of the prize for which Christ Jesus has called him heavenward. See, this is our preparation time. When we arrive, Jesus will be there, and he wants to lavish us with rewards. Faith looks like giving when I don't have it. Giving when I don't have it. We talked a moment ago about this idea that just doesn't make sense to us, that God would ask us to give 10% of our income to him. That doesn't make sense. Trust me, I don't think anybody, no one I personally know, including myself, who took on this challenge of tithing, giving 10% to the Lord, ever sat down and said, well, you know, I can afford that. I can afford 10%. Man, I did. I said, how in the world could I afford to give God 10%? of what I earn. I, I can't afford that. I got bills to pay. At that time, when I started talking, I had kids. I said, I got mouths to feed. I got kids to clothe. I got all, I, I can't afford that. See, no one enters that kind of relationship and that kind of faithfulness saying, yeah, that's no problem. I can do that. that. Unless like you are incredibly wealthy. I love the story in Mark chapter 12, verse 41. One of these stories that just captured Jesus' full attention. It says, one day Jesus was sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. That's how they did it that day. They didn't, they didn't have kiosks. They didn't pass offering plates. They had a special place at the temple, and people would come, and they would give their offerings. And so Jesus, sitting there watching, sitting there watching what people are giving. This is God. Remember, Jesus is God. Number one, the story it, we learn from it is that Jesus was taking notice of what we were giving. It goes on to say, many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. All these people pouring money in, these wealthy people. They're coming in, and, and they're, they're, they're giving all these offerings. And, and some biblical historians say that whenever a person gave an offering, trumpets sounded to draw people's attention to it. So they're coming in, big offering. Big, and this little widow comes up, she goes, clink. Look what happens. Jesus says, calling his disciples to him. Jesus stopped there. He said, hey, you guys, come here, come here, come here, quick. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. This poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. See, that was faith. Giving when she didn't have it to give. I, I, I wish the scriptures would have 
continued the story to see what happened to that widow woman. Because I have no doubt in my mind, because I know the character of God and I know what God's done in my life. I believe that God blessed that widow woman beyond her imagination. This poor widow woman got what 99% of the people who have ever lived never get. What did she get and what do I need to get? What do you need to get? There are two totally different views on how to deal with provision. In other words, there's two totally different views, diametrically opposed to each other, on how we should provide for ourselves and our families and who has the responsibility for doing that. The first one is the one most people buy into, and that's personal provision. Personal provision says, I've got to do it. I've got to go out and work hard. I've got to earn money. I, 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 I've got to, I, I'm accountable. I'm responsible for the things in my life, and the, the good things, the, the responsible things, the, the desires, the wants, the hobbies, the, all that stuff. It's me. I'm my own master. I'm my own creator. I create my wealth. I went to school. I got a degree. I did this. I worked hard. It's all me. It comes from me. That's where most people live. Now, mind it, whatever model you take, you've got to be responsible, and we all have to do our part in work. We can't be lazy in life. But that's the one most people say, it's me. I've got to work hard. I've got to get another job. I've got to work hard. I've got to raise money. I've got to have stocks. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. That's where most people live. The other is providential provision. Believing that, you know, really God is the one who blesses my life. God is the one who gave me the job I have. God is the one who afforded me the opportunity to have the education that I got. God is the one. God is God is God. It's all coming from God. And therefore, God has every right to ask me to give to him because he's controlling it. And especially in this matter of giving and tithing, it's believing what God says that if we give to him, Jesus said it in Luke, said, give and it will be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, Jesus said. In Malachi chapter 3, God said it this way, test me in this. Bring the whole store to tithe into my storehouse and see if I won't open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing you can't hold. See, the real question of faith when it comes to giving and why it's part of this giving regimen or, or this faith regimen is that it asks the question and answers the question, can I really count on God? Will God really do what he has promised to do? Will God really take care of my needs if I trust him? So faith is giving when I don't have it. Two more quickly. Faith is thanking God before I receive it. It's thanking God before I receive it. Faith isn't hoping God will. That's not faith. We do that so often. We'll put up a prayer and we'll ask God for something or we'll need something. We'll go to God and say, oh, I hope God will do it. I, I hope he'll do it. I hope, I hope he'll answer my prayer. I hope he's hearing me. I hope he'll do I hope. See, that's not faith. Faith is not believing God can do it. God, I know you can do this, God. I know you have the power. God already knows that. You don't have to tell him that. Faith is believing he's already doing it. See, that's what faith is. It's not, God, I hope you will. It's not, I know you can. Faith is saying, God, I know you are. 
I know you're already taking my prayer request. You've heard my prayer, and I know, God, that you are already involved in my need. Colossians 2, verse 6 through 7 says, So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, how did you do that? By faith. Continue to live in him, rooted up and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught. And then he adds another element. And overflowing with what? Thanksgiving, see? That's saying, God, thank you. I, I have faith that you're already at work. I'm not hoping that some, you're, you're, you're hearing me. I, I'm not just believing that you can do something. I know that you already are doing something. And I want to thank you for that, God. I don't have it yet. I don't see it yet. I don't understand it. I don't have it, but God, I'm thanking you, God. I'm thanking you before I even see the end of this. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Again, that word, with thanksgiving. Thank you, God. I'm not worried about it. I'm not anxious about it. I'm not losing sleep over it. My stomach's not all twisted up in knots over it. God, I've given it to you. And God, I thank you that you've relieved me of this burden. I thank you that you have all this in control. Now, if we exercise that kind of faith, if we thank God before we receive it, look what the scripture goes on to say in verse 7 of Philippians chapter 4. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. See, what's the payoff for thanking God before I receive it? I'm not worrying about it anymore. It's in God's hands. It's okay. He's already doing something about it. I don't have to keep carrying it around. Now, I'm sensitive to his voice because he may give me an invitation into his divine supernatural and call me to do something that I don't understand and I'm going to obey it. But I'm not worried about it because through faith, I know God has it all under control. As the psalmist said, God, my times are in your hands. And that's so true. Everything about us is in his hands. And he will get us there. And he will return peace. What's that verse say? That passes understanding. When we should be freaking out, when we should be, be popping the antidepressants or whatever, when we should be, God will give us peace. He will guard our hearts from rebelling or losing our faith in him, and he'll guard our minds so that we have peace. Thanking God before I receive it. What should you be thanking God right now for? Before you've received it. And finally, faith is trusting God if I don't get it. Because sometimes God's not going to respond the way I want him to respond. That doesn't mean he didn't respond. Remember we talked about that great uh, hallmark, that the, that the hall of faith, Hebrews chapter 11. We talked about last week, I didn't have time. I did read it in here, in fact. I did read 11. I didn't have time in the other services to read it. I just told them about it. But how in chapter 11, it says all these great biblical carriers, and by faith, Noah built an ark, and by faith, Abraham went to a land, and by faith, Abraham offered his son Isaac, and by faith, Enoch was transported to the Lord over and over again. All these great biblical names. It says, and by faith, they did all that. But look what it says about all these promises. Hebrews 11, 39, 40. And these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Abraham, 
God promised, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your descendants as numerous as the stars in heaven. When Abraham died, he had two sons. That's hardly as numerous as the stars in heaven. Now, subsequently, have Abraham's offspring been like the stars of heaven? Has the Jewish people populated and repopulated so that there were millions and millions and millions of them? Yes, they have. Abraham never saw that. See, because even though God promised and Abraham believed it, left his land, went to the land that God would show him, he put his son Isaac on the altar, all he did, everything God asked him to do, he died believing that God would fulfill his promise. Verse 40 says, God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. See, here's what we have to understand. That we, we get wrapped up in our own individual lives so often. But God has a much bigger picture. God understands how my life and your life all intertwine and how our lives intertwine with the people we work with and how our lives intertwine with our extended family members and how our lives intertwine and intersect with so many different people, people that we haven't even met yet that God's going to bring into our lives. And God has a better plan. God's plan is perfect. It's motivated by love. It's motivated by the purity of his holiness. And so sometimes what we're asking for could be counterproductive for ourselves. Sometimes what we're asking for, if God gave it to us, would bring destruction into our lives or hurt into our lives. Or sometimes, if God would give us what we ask for, it would bring hurt into the lives of someone else. We might have a vacation planned somewhere and say, oh, God, I just pray, God, that you'll make the weather beautiful and the sun to shine and, and Lord, that we won't have any rain the whole time we're there. When the place that we're going has been in a drought for months and months and months. And the people there, the farmers there, need rain desperately so that they can grow crops to feed the people around them. We're praying, God, so we don't get, oh, God, you didn't answer my prayer. No, God did answer our prayer because God answered the prayer of the multitude of what was best for everyone. So faith is believing that when I don't get what I pray for, God is still responding. So what does faith look like? Believing when I don't see it. Obeying when I don't understand it. Persisting when I don't feel like it. Giving when I don't have it. Thanking God before I receive it. And trusting God if I don't get it. That's what it looks like. Now, now here is your challenge this week. This is why I want you to write these down. If you didn't write them down, then you can go online or you can go back and get a CD after the service and re-listen to it. But here's one of my challenge for you this week. Look at every one of these areas and examine your life. Examine your Christian walk in light of these different areas so that you can discover an area or areas, probably for most of us, that we need to reconsider how we're thinking about things, how we're living. We need to reconsider our relationship. What do I need to believe even though I don't see it? 
What's God been, been asking me to do? And I've felt his presence in my life, and it just doesn't make any sense that he would be asking me, what do you need to just obey? Are you feel like quitting? Where in your life are you right now saying, I, I don't know why I'm doing this anymore. I don't know why I'm, I'm spending my time. I've done, I've had enough, and you're just ready to quit. What area are you ready to quit? Well, do you need to stay and persist because that's an area God is trying to exercise your faith? So take every one of these areas and give yourself a grade. You could even make a scale, make it one to ten. One is, man, I'm not doing anything in this area. Or ten, I've really locked and loaded in this area. I'm doing this one well. Score yourself in every one of those areas so that you have a starting place now from where you can build your faith from this point on as we go on in the series. So take time to do that. Remember what Jude said, Jude 120? You have to build what? Your own faith. I can teach you things about it, but you then have to do what you have to do so that your faith will become a reality. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your word shows us what faith looks like. That gives us a starting place. It, it puts something practical into our minds and into our lives. Saying, okay, I, I, I get it. That's what faith looks like. It's not some abstract concept that's kind of hanging out there in the mist. But it's really practical. It, it's things like we talked about. It's believing when I don't see it. And God, there's some things that are going on in my life right now. I just need to believe it, even though I don't see a resolve to it, and I don't see an end to it. I just need to believe that, that you're, you're, you're acting on it, God. And I just need to have faith. It's obeying when I don't understand it, God. And there's some things in my life right now that I really feel like you're working, and you're challenging me, but I don't, it doesn't make sense to me, God. So that, maybe that's exactly what's going on, that you're trying to exercise that faith muscle. Whatever it is, Father, help us to be honest before you and then give it to you. Exercise faith. Build faith. Learn about it because we can only do it for ourselves, but we do it for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.